Well, we are going to continue our series called The Moral of the Story. We're in week four of The Moral of the Story, and we've been going through different parables of Jesus during this series. We basically have been talking about the parables of Jesus, and we're not able to look at every single parable, but we're looking at quite a few of the parables of Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. These two parables, again, very similar and told in similar context. The context of these parables was basically the end times scenario. Jesus was talking about the end times, the day and the hour is unknown when Jesus will return. So just to be clear, Jesus did show up the first time, but he's coming back again. And when he comes back again, it's not going to be a baby in a manger situation. It's going to be, you know, iron scepter time. And Jesus is going to straighten out a lot of stuff that's messed up. And so people were wondering, well, when is this going to happen? And Jesus was given some different things. And and he told these parables to help us understand how we should be ready for the return of Christ when it does happen. Now, before we get into these parables, I want to just talk a little bit about what uh, we talked about last week with the prodigal son or the younger son who took half of the inheritance and squandered it all and then came home. He had this speech prepared and the father embraced him, hugged him and kissed him, gave him a robe and a ring and they killed the fattened calf and it was a big celebration. What do you think happened the next day, the day after that? Now, this is a parable. It's a story that Jesus made up. But if we're to follow and kind of flesh out the next few days, do you think the younger son would have thought to himself, you know what, this coming over the horizon and getting greeted is pretty sweet. I think I'll sleep till 10. I'll uh, yell at some people and be super ungrateful. And then, you know, when I feel like it, I'll just walk over the horizon and then I'll walk back. Because I need another robe and another ring and another fattened calf. You know, that'd be really, really great. Do you think that's what he would have done? No. He, he would have woken the roosters up the next day and said, All right, guys, let's get going because we got some work to do on the farm. You know, we got to stay busy here. And, and he would have been highly motivated to participate in the family business and he would have got to work. What if he didn't? What if he just was like, Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm the younger son. I'm super privileged. You guys do all the work. I'm not going to help at all. Would would that feel wrong? That would be completely ungrateful to the father who welcomed him back in after all that the younger son had done. And it's the same with us. If we are going to be welcomed into the family of God, the kingdom of God, then we shouldn't want to be welcomed in every day. We should now get to work, start serving our God and King, start serving our Master in Heaven, start walking with Him and doing what He's asked us to do. And that essentially is the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. Again, this was an end time scenario. People were thinking that that the end of the world was going to happen then, 2,000 years ago. Now, it didn't. (laughs) You know, we're still waiting. 2,000 years later, I tell you what, every generation seems to think that they're the generation when Jesus is coming back. But I'm no exception to that. I think it, it very well could come back in this generation. You know what I mean? Like there's different things going on that have never happened in history before. 
However, we need to prepare for the long haul too. But what if we knew when Jesus was coming back? What if we knew it was Thursday? If it was Thursday at 2.30 in the afternoon, if you knew that, would your week look different? Then these parables are for you. It's about how do we live our life in the interim time between knowing that Jesus is coming and him actually coming. So let's go to Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. We'll read the parable of the talents, and then we'll read the parable of the minas. So let's go to Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it, the kingdom of God, the the end times, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now a talent was basically the amount of weight a man could carry. So it was a normal pack load, which was about 70 pounds in biblical times. So if it was 70 pounds of silver coins, in today's world that would be somewhere between $15,000 and $20,000 per talent. Somewhere around there. So let's say the five talents, that's maybe seventy-five dollars to $100,000. The two talents is thirty dollars to $40,000. The one talent, fifteen dollars to $20,000. Right in there. This is the amount of resources that are given to these individuals. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. So these two immediately go and put their money to work. They're doing things, they're active, and they're gaining more. They're multiplying what they have. Verse 18, But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. How would you feel if you had fifteen dollars to $20,000 of somebody else's money? You might want to keep it safe, right? So he digs a hole, he buries it in the ground. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned. After a long time. So remember the context is the second coming of Christ, the end of the age. And so Jesus says it's a long time. So he's not telling them, you know, in three weeks. He's saying a long time, and this will turn out to be a much longer time than any of the people originally listening to this anticipated, because they were sure Jesus would return in their lifetime, just like so many have throughout the centuries. They were sure Jesus would return in their lifetime. They thought it was imminent, and Jesus here says a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So far, so good. But if you gave somebody $75,000 and they gave you back $150,000, you'd like them. So he's serving, he's multiplying, and he gets a great reception. Verse 22, the man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, did you notice something about those two responses? They're word for word exactly the same. The one guy benefited five talents and the other one only two. But the response in this parable is exactly the same. They're both serving diligently. They're both getting a return on what was entrusted to them. And the master is pleased with both. The master welcomes both of them in, gives them a great reception. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 24, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid. Let me tell you something. How you view God, your preconceptions about who God is, the character of God, your relationship with God, is going to affect how you serve God. If you think God is good, if God is kind, if God is on your side, if God loves you, then you're going to embrace the things of God and run to God and be excited about when God asks you to do something and the role that you have. But this guy saw his master as a hard man who does things that aren't fair, that will take when he, when he hasn't even done anything. And so he's afraid. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what belongs to you. Did this servant steal anything from his master? He returned the full talent. He gave the whole thing back. There's no indication here that he went out and spent it. This isn't like the younger son who wastes the father's inheritance. He just doesn't do anything with it. He does nothing. What do you think the response will be from the master to the servant who did nothing? Here is what belongs to you. Verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. These two parables have some pretty challenging things in them, but this is one of the most challenging. And it's basically this, and maybe you've observed this in life. People who are seeking after God and who are faithful to God and who are diligent in the things of God seem to grow in their relationship with God and have more from God. And those who resist God, those who hold back from God, those who are afraid of interacting with God seem to get farther and farther away from God as time goes on. The spiritually rich get richer and the spiritually poor get poorer. So what we want to do is we want to seek the things of God and we want to grab hold of the things of God because if you're diligent with a little thing, God will give you more. But if you're irresponsible with a little thing, He won't. So we want to be diligent with the little thing. Even what He has will be taken from Him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want to do theology here, but let me tell you, weeping and gnashing of teeth is bad. We want to avoid that. Throw that worthless servant outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We want to avoid this. How could this servant with the one talent have avoided being cast out? 
How much work did this servant need to be doing in order for the master to be pleased? He told him exactly what he wanted. You should have at least put the money on deposit with the bankers, and I could have got it back with interest. How much work is it to put money on deposit with the bankers and get it back with interest? Is that really, really hard? It's not that hard. When we're reading this parable, we can get to that place of fear, you know, like, oh no, if I don't double everything God gave me, I'm I'm weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm in serious trouble. No, no, no. Just put it on deposit with the bankers. If you're not sure what to do, just do the things that make sense for a Christian to do. You know, show up for church, pray, be nice to people, you know, be an encouragement to others. Help out when you get the opportunity to help out. You don't have to, you don't have to be the next Billy Graham. Just go ahead and, and be serving the Lord in simple, easy ways. God is not looking to do you harm. He's looking to help you out. But we need to participate with what God is doing. So let's look at a few things, make sure we've covered the basic points of this, of this parable. So the first thing, now, this is, this is a very thinly veiled parable. I think it's pretty obvious what it's talking about. So we've been given certain opportunities and abilities to use in our life to serve God with. Jesus is gone. He's coming back. While he's gone, we're supposed to serve the Lord with the abilities and opportunities that we have. And when we do that and we get uh, an increase, God is happy. If we completely abdicate the responsibility that we have then we're in a dangerous place. We don't want to abdicate our responsibility. We've been entrusted with something. You have been entrusted with something from God. And it's your life. And it's your abilities. You can do things that no one else on this planet can do. There will be situations where you're the only one who can help out in that moment. You're the only one who's there to give encouragement, to to lend assistance. You're the only one who can be that person to the other individual. And it's your responsibility to do it. You've been entrusted with something. Your life and your abilities are a gift from God that you are to put to work for His kingdom. Now, we aren't all given the same. Some One guy got five, one guy got two, another got one. We aren't all given the same, but we can all be faithful with what we have. Amen? We aren't all given the same, and we aren't judged based on what somebody else has. We are just judged on what God has given us and whether or not we're faithful with it. If we're faithful with what God has given us, if it's a little thing or if it's a big thing, then we get that same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. I like well done, good and faithful servant way better than weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen? So we should go for well done, good and faithful servant. And even the one talent guy, the guy who just got the one talent, just needed to put his money on deposit. The master didn't say, you didn't double it, so you're out. He said, you didn't even try. Now, this isn't in the parable, but I believe this from, uh, from 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. If he had tried and failed and lost the whole talent, I believe that would have satisfied the master as well. If he would have tried and failed... But he didn't even try. He didn't put his talent to work at all. It's not about how successful you are. It's about how faithful you are. The master was gone a long time. The master was gone a long time. Have you ever just wanted Jesus to return 
now, right now, before my credit card bill is due. I mean, like now. <laughs> Be ready for a long time. Be ready for a short time, too. Because, I mean, seriously, it could be our generation. Wouldn't it be great if we were the generation where Jesus returns and we get to see that? And, like, Jesus goes to New York? Like, what would happen? You know, because, I mean, he's coming here. It's not just that we die and go to heaven. It's that Jesus is coming back here. And he could show up in New York. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's going to be in Jerusalem. But he might go other places, too. You know? Like, wouldn't that be something? Maybe he'll, maybe he'll come by Minneapolis or something, you know. Well, I'll go see him. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be amazing? He's coming here. If we get to see that, that'd be incredible, especially if you've been faithful. Then you can be excited about how, uh, how you're going to be received when the master returns. And here's this key point. Your experience of serving God will be colored by your your preconceptions of who God is. This is such a huge deal. And it's one of the great, um, it's, it's one of the reasons why false religion is so bad is because it paints God in the wrong light. It causes people to think God is, is mean and, and unreasonable and those sorts of things. God is not mean and unreasonable. I'm going to do my trick question. I've, I haven't done this trick question for probably a year. And I'll probably get some of you because something's been ingrained in you, a view of God being unreasonable that you can't answer this question the right way. So here we go. Can you ever really pray enough? Yes. Can you ever really give enough? Absolutely. Can you ever really read your Bible enough? Yes. You probably aren't, but you could. Because God's not unreasonable. He doesn't expect 20 hours of Bible reading and 20 hours of prayer and for you to give twice as much money as you have. He doesn't expect that. Put your money on deposit with the bankers. You know, like, that's not a ridiculous expectation. Be faithful. Be serving the Lord. Do what you know to do and what you can do. It's not unrealistic. God is not unpleasable. When you go before the Lord and you ask for forgiveness of sins, you're forgiven, and it's done. And He's just waiting for you to get over it so that you can have a relationship with Him that isn't based on you feeling inadequate. Because He's not unreasonable. He's not unpleasable. You catching that? (laughs) Because if you're afraid of God, you'll run away from God. And if you run away from God, you'll bury your talent. And if you bury your talent, then you're going to have a bad experience with God. Because this is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The one out of the three who thought that God was hard and mean and, and unreasonable was the one who got a really bad response. Do you remember when the nation of Israel was called to go into the promised land? They got freed from Egypt. God did a bunch of miracles, and now they're to go into the promised land. But they found there's great warriors in the promised land. And so 12 spies went in to check out the land, and they said, It does flow with milk and honey. But the bad news is there's giant warriors that made us feel like grasshoppers. You know, we just thought they're going to step on us. We're going to die. This is terrible. And Ten of the twelve said, we can't take the land 
because the obstacles are too big. And two of the 12, Caleb and Joshua, said, yes, we can. If God is on our side, it doesn't matter what the obstacles are. We can make it. Which, who was right? Was Caleb and Joshua right or were the 10 right? The answer is yes, because the 10 were right because they didn't have any faith that God would take care of them, so they couldn't enter the land. They're too afraid to even try. And Caleb and Joshua were right because they had faith in God and they knew they could do it. And 40 years later, Caleb and Joshua got to go into the land, but they wait for all the other ones to die first. They were both right. Let me tell you, if you think God is a God of love, a God that cares about you, a God that will welcome you and whose expectations are not unrealistic and that you can be pleasing to God and you can have peace in your heart, if you believe that, you're right. If you think that you'd better run away from God because when you meet Him, it's going to go bad, you're right. But change your preconception because it's, it's a lie. You're believing a lie that becomes self-fulfilling. Trust that God is good. He created you. He knows what your limits are. Is burying your talent a good idea? No, bad idea. Why do people bury their talent? Or is this just something that happened in Jesus' day, where there were people that knew God was real and they just didn't get around to doing anything about it? Uh, Or does that still happen today? Still happens today. In today's world, why do people bury their talent? Boy, there's probably a thousand answers to that, but I'm going to give you three. First reason is they're just too busy. Priorities are on different places. You know, I was going to put them to the talent to use, but I just never got around to it. So they end up burying their talent because they're too busy. Don't be too busy for that. In fact, it'll save you time. Another reason is that they don't think it matters anyway. God's got his plan. His plan's going to happen. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter if I pray. Doesn't matter if I serve. It's all going to turn out the way God wanted it to turn out. So it doesn't matter anyway. So why would I have to do anything? Let me tell you. God has a plan, and His plan is to depend on you for some stuff. Did you know that? His plan is to depend on you for some stuff. And if you don't do it, God will probably have a plan B, but it won't be as good. You know, I I get to be a a parent, and it's fun. You know, I got three boys, and they're all grown-ups now, and that's a whole new adventure. But uh, you have one biological father. And if, if you have a bad relationship with that person, you know that that's a problem. Now, if somebody else stepped in, hallelujah. You know what I mean? They're, they're putting their talent to work. Hallelujah for that. But a great relationship with that biological father would have been great, would have been wonderful, would have fed something in you that didn't get fed. So I've got a certain responsibility to these three human beings to be there biological father. There isn't anyone else who can do that the same as me. Now, if I just completely blow it, I sure hope somebody else will step in and be a role model and be an encourager and and be a good mentor. It's just not going to be the same. There's certain things that God has had set up for us to do, good works prepared in advance for us to do. So it does matter. It, It really does. If you follow the Lord and you put your talent to work, this world changes. It does matter. And the third reason people bury their talent in today's culture is that they see Jesus as weak. So the first one, too busy. Second one, don't think it matters anyway. Third one, see Jesus as weak. Ah, you know, it's forgiving, God of a thousand second chances, whatever. I can just totally just ask for forgiveness and blow them off, and I'm in control of this relationship, so... Um, 
I got all the cards. Do you hold all the cards against God? Jesus isn't weak. He's very, very strong. He's kind. He's merciful, patient. He's not, not weak. He sees through all that stuff. Why do you think Jesus is so harsh with the whole, you know, throw him out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Why so harsh? Well, it's, it's because of what we just talked about. You're on this planet for a reason. There's things you're here to do. And if you don't do them, it messes up God's plan. If you don't step in and fill the role that God has called you to fill, it hurts everything. It causes problems. Jesus said to the, to the believers, to the ones who are following him, that you are the light of the world. We're the light of the world. We're the ones who are to bring the gospel to the world. We're the ones who are to bring the love of God to the world. We're the ones who are to do that in our small spheres of influence. If we mess that up, that's a big deal. He's got things for us to do. That's why our vision statement has reach up, you know, a real relationship with the living God is, is available to you. Rise up, a real relationship with the living God will change you. And reach out, a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. We're called to do things because we can make a difference. Feeling good? You liking this one? You ready for the minas? Because this is a step harder. You ever read something in the Bible and you're like, oh, well, here we go. Luke 19, we'll read through the whole thing. Luke 19, starting in verse 11. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So again, this is end times. Jesus is is saying, look, it's going to be a long time. This isn't all going to get fixed right now. Uh, It's going to take a long time. So people thought it was all going to happen right then. Verse 12. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So this is clearly Jesus, the king of kings, who is going to die on the cross, ascend to heaven. He's going to wait there till the time is right and then return. Verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So there's 10 of these servants. They each get one. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So we've got a little bit different from the talents. In the talents, there were three individuals. Here we've got 10 individuals and a group of people. So the 10 are the servants. They're each given a mina. And uh, the uh, delegation goes and... Uh, from this group that says, we don't want him to be king. Verse 15. He was made king, however. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter if you like that or you don't like that. It's just a fact. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. So this guy had a, a thousand percent increase. Very impressive. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. So we have a very similar situation here where an individual who didn't do anything with what they had. Verse 22, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant, you knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, 
He already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. So we're seeing very, very similar teaching here, but using a just slightly different parable. If you don't do anything, even what you have gets taken away. But the ones who are serving diligently are the ones who get the good news. Are you ready for a verse I'm not even quite sure what to do with? Here we go. Verse 27. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Jesus said that. That's pretty strong. Here's what I do with verses like that. Let's just stay as far away from that as possible, right? I don't need to figure it out. I just need to not be like that. Now, they didn't want Jesus to be king. There are people who don't want Jesus to be Lord. And they're against him. They're fighting against him. And here's the deal. Jesus is Lord. And if you're one who is is fighting against him, let me tell you this. Get to know Jesus and you'll like him. Because he's actually good. This again, it's the tragedy of, of false religion, of people being told things about God that aren't true, of, of people thinking that God is not good, that God has, you know, got all these problems and is unjust and, and doesn't care and, and is just ready to squash people. It's, it's a lie. But if you believe it, it will affect your relationship with God and that will put you in a very dangerous position. If somebody has said something or done something that's caused you to turn against God, I'm sorry. That's happened way, way too many times. Way too many times. But that wasn't God. That was a messed up person that's going to get what they deserve. All right? Here's our conclusion. And then we'll pray. Three, I'll invite the prayer teams up while I'm doing this. Prayer teams can come on up. We'll close here in a little bit. Three things just to boil this all down. Understand that we all have work to do that God expects us to get done in this life. We all have things to do that God expects us to get done. It might be simple things along the lines of putting money on deposit. I mean, the way I think of it is, like when I was a kid, somebody drops their books in the hallway, you help them pick them up. Simple stuff. Be someone who cares. Be someone who's part of the solution instead of part of the problem. We all have work to do, and we're expected to do it in this life. Second thing, God is serious, but we can be perfectly safe in God's love. His expectations are not unreasonable. He's very serious. And the reason he's serious is because we're to be helping people that he loves. And if we don't, then that hurts him. And when we get to the parable of the sheep and the goats, we'll realize Jesus takes it personally when you don't help someone. He wants us to help others. He wants us to be active in rescuing people, in getting people free, and helping people. God is serious, but we can be safe in His love because His expectations are not unreasonable. And then we need to see God the right way and put our talents to work. Hebrews eleven six is a great verse for this. We need to see God the right way. This is the second definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone... Who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is faith? You know, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And faith is believing that God is real and that he is a rewarder of those who seek after him. 
Not a hard man who can't be pleased, but a rewarder. See your God as your rewarder. And then when Jesus returns, bringing his reward with him, you'll be excited about it because you'll understand that God is good. He's on your side. He's trying to help. Now, God loves everyone. Amen? He loves those who bury their talent. He loves those who send a delegation to try to keep him from being made king. He loves everyone. But there's two groups of people that I I believe Jesus is particularly fond of, that God the Father is particularly fond of. Two groups. And there is no reason why all of us in here can't be part of one of those two groups before we finish out in here just a few minutes. The first group is what we learned about today, good and faithful servants. He's pleased. He's happy. He's excited about those who are good and faithful, who serve as best they know how with what they've got, not doing more than they can, but just serving God, living the life. God is pleased with good and faithful servants. And what we learned about last week, the other group that Jesus seems to be particularly fond of is the people who were far from God, but who find God. Those who are lost that then are found. We can be one or the other, all of us. Tonight, we can choose that. Be a good and faithful servant. Be diligent in serving the Lord. His expectations are realistic, reasonable. He's not, he's not unpleasable. He's your rewarder. Or if you've been far away from God, you can choose to say, Lord, I want to come home. And you get the hug and you get the robe and you get the ring and there's a party in heaven. Our closing scripture is going to be Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. This is Old Testament talking to the nation of Israel, calling them to walk in the ways of God, but it applies to us as well. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Put that verse 19 back up there. He's saying if if you choose the ways of God, you get the blessing. And it's the same for us. Choose life. Don't choose to run from God. Don't choose to hide your talent. Choose to be forgiven and choose to be faithful. We can all do that. Let's pray together. I'll give you an opportunity to to respond to Christ, to to get your relationship with, with God right. And I'll challenge all of us to be faithful in what he's given us, to at least put our our talent, our mina on deposit and be living the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, you are merciful and kind, slow to anger. You are all about redemption and freedom. Lord, thank you for that. You're also very serious about us walking in your ways. And Lord, for each of us, help us to see that you have entrusted something with us, that you have given us something to use in this life. You've given us our life and our abilities. You've given us the the capacity to, to smile at someone and show them that someone cares. You've given us the ability to tell people what you've done for us. You've given us the ability to go on the internet and help people in Africa who have been uh, suffering from a natural disaster. You give us all of these things. Now, we, we don't all need to do all of it, but each of us needs to do our piece, our part. 
So Lord, show us how to put our talent to work and how to gain a return. Help us to not be afraid to do that, thinking that if we make a mistake, somehow you'll come down on us. Lord, I know that when we endeavor faithfully to serve you, we will make mistakes, but your mercies are new every morning, and you'll show us how to get better, how to be more effective, how to gain more with our talent, because what do we do that you don't empower us to do anyway? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.